Hello, you beautiful brains. And welcome to Move Subtly. I'm your host, Sean Eben. I'm really sorry about these hiatuses. Consistency is obviously not showing too well for me right now. But I'm going to do better and give you this content. Today's guest is Ani Sanya. Ani is building a family legacy with those near and dear to his heart. He's co-founded the Green Room Creative Kolkata Chai, I hope I said that right, <laughs> and also invest in real estate with his brother, parents, and those in his inner circle. We're going to be chatting about determining what your client needs and not just detailing what they want. This interview is actually pretty full circle for me because I didn't know I knew of Ani before discovering who he was, and now that I'm getting to connect this, I guess, connect the dots and having this conversation with Ani is karma to me. With that all being said, let's get to the show. You know, I guess just even over recently uh, in one of your episodes for uh, Free Smoke, I noticed that you were talking about, about Nipsey Hussle even before, uh, just even seeing through your IG posts and stuff like that. Yeah. Like it had a large effect on you. I guess Absolutely. what did Nipsey mean to you? Man, um, yeah, long live Nipsey, man. I, um... I discovered Nipsey's music probably about nine, ten years ago, and because um, I used to be an artist myself, and, and I still work in music, but I used to be more on the creative side, and that's a thankless job. You know, it's a tough, um, it's a tough job, and a lot of it is based on how much you believe yourself. You know, being an artist, being a creator, even being an entrepreneur. You know, for everybody out there, a lot of it is that is that confidence that you need to be able to to take things to the next level. And I remember Nipsey's music. It had this really interesting balance of vulnerability and uh, self-belief, and I and I just I was so attracted to that because that's what I needed at that time, and so he to me has meant so much, man. Just like we all look up to people who do it on their own terms, you know, but he did it on his own terms in front of us. Mm-hmm. So like all his successes and failures and getting dropped from the label and coming back up and being quiet and and fighting with complex and beating the cases and mm-hmm. opening a store and you know getting nominated um for a grammy it's just like it's like we got to see him grow in real time as we were growing yeah you know like almost in parallel in our own respective ways exactly. and it was just uh it's just such a source of inspiration and mm-hmm. like uh such a reminder of of where being honest and and being diligent can take you um and and yeah i mean it's funny cuz yeah, his passing has just hit me really hard, man. I definitely had a, a whole week where I just was like, I could not function. Mm-hmm. Um, and just been thinking about, you know, I probably met him like three or four times in my life and just gotcha. kind of going over those interactions. And, you know, I've been to the store multiple times and I'm going to go back next week when I'm in L.A. And just like, it just it just kind of woke me up from a little bit of like autopilot that sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of us can get on. And it's just like... I've just been trying to refine little things. Like I went mm. to the library today to to get a bunch of books. I've been trying to wake up a little bit earlier. Gotcha. I've been trying to no, be nicer hard. to people around me. <laughs> yeah. So like he he influenced me in so many ways, man. Long live Nip. He oh. he was a he was a martyr. You yeah. know what I mean? He was a legend, and uh, and we're gonna miss him as as mm-hmm. yeah we're gonna miss his energy for sure. Do you feel like you kind of like try and like frame, like your own, the way the path that you're going about right now? Do you think you? I don't know necessarily frame it, but you try to, you take pieces where you're just like, okay, I appreciate 
how do I want to phrase it? Yeah, no, I get I get what you're saying. Do I do I? So for me, like I look at Nip. He's an he's a he's a product of immigrant parents, mm-hmm. right? It's him and his brother building businesses. Mm-hmm. They turn something out of nothing, and he's been through a lot of like life threatening situations. Yeah. And when I look at my life, you know, a lot of those parallels um, run true. So, do I look at him as somebody that you know? Do I model myself after him? Um, I would say like I take a lot from his mentality mm-hmm. and his approach to things. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, my life and my journey are uniquely my own. Exactly. But um, when I look at the odds that he had to kind of go up against and just how he was structured as a family man and somebody that always like, you know, if you go to the store, like his dad's working the counter, mm-hmm. you know, and like before I even saw that, you know, I, I made sure I brought my dad into my own business. Gotcha. And so I look at those things and I'm like, damn, like, you know, I, I wonder where our paths would have crossed, but it got nothing to do with me, man. His, yeah. you know, his, his, his story was uniquely his own too, right? Yeah. So all like, we could do is just honor him and, and, and I think pass it forward, like pay it forward, mm-hmm. you know, right pass it race. down. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, gotcha. So uh, actually recently somebody kind of asked me this question. Well, this was not recently, but somewhat recently. And I didn't really know how to uh, answer it. Pretty much they asked, this stranger asked me, oh yeah, where do you see yourself by the time, where do you want to be by the time that you were 40? Like, it was kind of, it hit close to home for me because I didn't necessarily know how to answer that. Interesting. But I'm kind of interested, uh, I guess, kind of with Nip's situation ending, unfortunately, uh, early. Do you yeah. feel like you have, like, a gauge of possibly where you want to be? Not necessarily. No, it's a great question, man. Sort of way, but yeah. Yeah, I, um, I was diagnosed with end-stage kidney failure when I was 24, mm-hmm. you know, so for, for my 40 was my 30. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know if I was going to, you know, get to 30 to be able to tell the story. I turned 30 last year, and, um, and, and so I think about those things a lot. Yeah. You know, I think about mortality a lot. I think about uh, milestones and, and kind of, like, the impact that you're able to leave and the time you have. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely, you know, really aware of that at all times, so... I tell people all the time, you know, at 30, I'm at a place that I could have only dreamed about being, and I'm really grateful for that, because my friends and I used to joke, like, damn, you're going to be 30 and washed, you know, like, it's going to be over for you at 30, (laughs) and I'm like, yo, I just turned 30, I got my crib, car, businesses, God bless, my parents are healthy, you know, like, 30 has been a really interesting, it's been the opposite, I'm not washed at all, like, we just getting started, Um, so at 40, I do think about 40, and I look at 40 as a lot of, a lot of men, will tell you the older like mentors and and people in my life have told me like a man doesn't really come into form until 40 Mm. doesn't really find maturity and doesn't really find um excellence until 40 because it just takes that long right and and obviously you know michael jordan and 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 jay-z and and all these people are exceptions to that rule but i would i would argue that they've gotten better at their respective you know lives as they've gotten older so i do think about 40 a lot um, to me, it's about excellence, mm-hmm. you know, as I get to that point. Right now, I feel like I'm learning, I'm hustling, I'm mm-hmm. building, I'm failing, I'm scrapping, you know, I'm fighting. But at 40, I feel like I'm going to be um, executing at a level where I am really disrupting mm-hmm. um, the the current traditional power structure. At 40, I feel like if things go God willing, the way we want them to go in the next 10 years, we will have real influence and, and uh, the financial means to like start owning things way bigger than what we are imagining now. Yeah. And I think at that age, when you're able to do that, you have the maturity for that, 
you can then influence and, and make the world a better place like mm-hmm. very directly, mm-hmm. right? Whether that's through philanthropy, whether that's through controlling certain parts of the media and the news cycle, like, you know, I, I believe like being able to own um, the, the, the narrative and, and kind of how information gets disseminated at, mm-hmm. that, at that time is, is a big goal for me because I think we got to change that. And uh, and yeah, to me, forty is like the takeover. That's like when you start boxing with like, you know, the mm-hmm. the, the heavy hitters and and are really being able to be like, okay, mm-hmm. we just gonna take this market share away from the current yeah. hierarchy, and we gonna move it towards the the people who've never had enough but who have amazing perspectives and things to contribute. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, and I think that's like something I do appreciate about you because you're even still trying to like even not necessarily preach it but just share that two people like I feel like every single time that I see your uh, Instagram story or anything like read an article or anything like that you're just continually about just hey this can be done you can do this like you just have to continue putting in the work and also it's just about I think I'm still trying to wrap this around pretty much recently I had a conversation with my older sister mm. where she was talking about uh, for her she's like in a similar place where she wants to be able to form that narrative shape that narrative have more control over it sure and she's like somebody where it's just like unfortunately uh it's the whole entire thing of okay you have to have money to have i guess that sort of power yeah yeah, stuff like that yeah and i'm still trying to battle with that because even me myself i'm trying to figure out not this i hear like some people say where it's like okay the more money that you have the more weight that uh I guess the more weight that it shows to the like, I guess like the general public, because if yeah. they see like some, <laughs> this is like if they see somebody who just isn't like hasn't made it, I guess in their eyes or anything like that, they're kind of just like, oh, who are you to say X Y Z or pretty much. Sure. Yeah, so I'm trying to remember so, where this question was going. To basically, actually. like, do you need to hit a certain amount or a certain uh, thing and in influence before you can start giving it away, or are you? The, does more money equal more influence? Is that mm-hmm. kind of where you're going? I think I, not quite. Okay, I, it I'll let you that, But yeah, I can't remember where it was going to exactly. So I mean, in terms of mm-hmm. where you what your sister was saying, yeah. if you want to pick it up on that, I disagree with that. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you need to have a lot of money, or a lot of status, or a lot of anything to to give what you have. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have a unique perspective, and I think that you know, if it's if it's money, maybe you can't donate ten percent of what you made that year but you yeah. can donate two yeah. you could donate one you know like it's it's all about the habits and the culture that you're building around what you're doing mm-hmm. and that's been a huge thing for us um, you know I have I have I tell people all the time, I got no money I'm like paid in full you know mm-hmm. when the guy comes out baby I'm broke I ain't got it <laughs> that's how I feel because all my money is invested yeah. and, and all my money and all my things are tied up into you know into the future so exactly. um, I give what I can you know yeah. I try to give uh, perspective I try to take time to, to talk to people um, I donate you know what percentage of, of, of profits I can afford to and I just do that better than doing nothing mm-hmm. um, I used to I used to think that oh I need money to take over mm-hmm. but then I realized people don't care about money people care about the impact mm-hmm. right and people care about the, the inspiration and people care about the the, the care yeah. and you don't need to have money to do those things yeah. I don't want to misquote I don't think it was necessarily the amount of money I think it was necessarily more on the larger impact I think she's somebody where it's just like on the scale of how many people you could actually reach out to right sorry sis yeah we mean that we mean to misquote you I mean look at look at Nipsey right Nipsey wasn't the wealthiest dude by any means Mm -hmm. but 
he did things that nobody's been able to do. He yeah. brought a city together in a way that presidents, musicians, mm-hmm. entertainers, athletes, no one's been able to do. Definitely. And that goes to show you, like, you know, his real impact. Yeah. So I guess in that same vein, I guess when it moves over now to the Greenwood Creative and the clients that you end up working with and everything like that, yep. how do you feel like you, I guess the question I'm trying to ask, how do you get into the minds of the people who you want to get hired for for this specific project? How do you end up going about that process? What's your process for that? That's a great question. Um, I think early on we tried to... Um, Early on, we tried to position ourselves in a way that we thought people would find us of mm. value and attractive and want to work with us. And then we realized that all that power was already inside of us. Mm. And it may- became more about being our authentic selves and having and attracting um, the type of clients we wanted to work with. So, you know, the things that we do are obviously, you know, we use social media, we leverage that to create a, a voice and a tone and an attitude that communicates our values as an agency. Um, Speed, uh, precision, culture, thinking outside of the box, like those are things that we, that's, those are the things that got us to this point. So we continue to kind of, you know, make sure that all of our materials contain that, that edge to them. Um, But more of it is just like, it's just being who we are, you know, like one of our biggest client projects uh, early on was, a consulting thing that we did with a political super PAC mm-hmm. for Hillary Clinton's uh, election. And um, that just came strictly off of Hillary Clinton needing to do more outreach to like young people of color gotcha. and us being a voice for that because we knew ourselves so well. So, you know, I, I don't think every time you try to position yourself to like be attractive to somebody else, mm-hmm. you end up getting away from who you really are. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't really bode well. So for me, you know, if I'm giving advice to somebody starting an agency or, or kind of in that mode, it's like figure out what it is that makes you really special, double down on that, yeah. and then sell that to people. Okay. And that way, the people that don't get it are not the people you should be working with anyway. And the people that are like, oh, wow, I actually think the same way. Those are, those are the, you know, the clients that you're going to want to lock up and, and really, like, you know, have be a part of your, your roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I rock with that. Yeah, because the whole entire thing just about like authenticity. Yeah. And like that's like a huge thing that a lot of people are really trying to. I I don't want to make it sound like a negative thing, but it's just like I feel like more and more people are trying to show like their authentic selves at least, where it's just like okay, at least the people who really are like trying to not only just be like an influence or anything like that, but have like make sure that okay I also know that my work is also good but I also want to make sure ah, I am so like it's all good right bro <laughs> lock in anyways next question so I can't think of what I want to say would you consider yourself an advocate for your clients 100% uh, I think the the difficulty when you care about your clients is that you have to make sure you're respecting your own time and your own you know emotions and things while you also advocate for the best you know for your clients and so there's it gets tricky right it it almost gets personal at times you have Mm -hmm. to make sure it never does get personal so um 100 you know a big advocate of my clients but also aware that um client satisfaction can only begin if 
I'm satisfied myself or my mm. team is satisfied or mm. you know like like we're coming we're doing work from a place of satisfaction yeah, yeah. no it's almost like the thing where you just like you don't want to get lost in the sauce or anything like that but exactly still make sure that hey we're still giving our best exactly yeah. yeah okay so do you think I guess when you or more on times when you first initially started starting out did you notice that there I always hear like there's a difference between like a freelancer and a consultant mm-hmm. like your perception is a little bit different absolutely do you what do you think about that idea or do you what do you think is the difference between those two I guess yeah I've been through it man I, I used to freelance you know mm-hmm. like out of college in my first few years um, like in my early and mid 20s freelancing is a nightmare mm-hmm. because people wrongly think that freelancers are disposable yeah. you know and they look at freelancers as like they're mercenaries yeah you know hitman for hire and I think that attitude is just um, I mean it's wrong it, it devalues a freelancer's work and I realized that early on and literally you know my brother and I teamed up and formed a quote unquote agency of mm-hmm. the two of us um, just so that we wouldn't have to be freelancers in our respective worlds because of how poorly Mm-hmm. You know, you get paid, how yeah. poorly you get treated, and how poorly people value what yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah. Right. How do you think, what do you think is the, what do you think about y'all forming an agency kind of changed the perception towards y'all where it's like, okay, now it's just like, it's almost just like you're validated, you're legitimized now, where it's kind of just like, okay, I actually believe that they have like a strategy towards what they're trying to do. And not just like a hands for hiring. Right. Like I think and the agency, whether we, when we first started, had an agency or not, um, I think what it does is it legitimizes the infrastructure mm-hmm. of an operation. Okay. You know, like I remember pitching um, a very well-known um, juice company in New York City. And, you know, the first question was like, well, how many, you know, how many employees do you guys have? Mm-hmm. How many people can you put on this account? And I was like, oh, we'll put, you know, four people, mm-hmm. you know, and it was my brother and I. At yeah. that time, so it was like fake until you make it. Yeah. You know, hire a friend or you know bring somebody in as as a contractor or just have them fill the gap and um, do what you can. But initially, it was really like the the perception mm-hmm. of the infrastructure of an agency is stronger than a freelancer. Gotcha. And being and I've been on both sides where I've I've worked you know kind of like internally on big client projects. Um, and I've been the agency on big client projects and, and there is truth to that mm-hmm. you know like there is a need for a lot of people that are adept at doing something because if you're a freelancer if you're you know one person and you go you get sick mm-hmm. or something happens in your family the day that your client deliverables are due it becomes really really difficult yeah. you know to, to, to make those things happen and, and I've seen this with business partners of mine and things like that and there's there's truth to that, you know. Right. Infrastructure is important, and as a client, you know, you want to make sure that your needs are being taken care of. So, exactly. it's two ways, man. But um, but I definitely think freelancers get a bad rap, and um, there's there needs to be either be like a, a grand rebrand of that, mm-hmm. or for freelancers just need to be more in tune with how they're seen and make sure that they start taking mm-hmm. the steps to rectify that. Well, I like that's definitely like something that I've been trying to like put forth with uh all the people that I end up meeting all the people who I end up trying to like end up getting the project or meeting them as a client or anything like that I think something that they've noticed is kind of just like the way of questioning that I go about where it's like okay I can tell that you're not just here just to 
I can't just tell you, oh, go do this. Right. It's kind of just like, okay, you're trying to figure out like the whole entire context of that. And I wonder if that's kind of, I guess, like that, the little thing that kind of changes. The yeah, it sounds like to me you do a lot of discovery with yeah. your clients, which yeah. is which is a really big part of you know what we do as well. And that's like that'll separate you from a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, because I think doing client discovery is just solve so many problems mm-hmm. it gets you to understand where they're coming from before you begin a new work right before you get started on a major project just feel them out on every pillar of their business and kind of how it's going to impact the things that you're exactly. doing so yeah we don't even sign anybody nowadays until we do a, a proper discovery mm-hmm. because the days of onboarding clients and just you know hoping that things go well yeah. and just assuming that you're aligned because both parties want to make money mm-hmm. those days are over mm-hmm. yeah you gotta have you gotta have a little bit more than just that in common yeah, yeah. I, I can definitely agree with that uh, do you think or I guess the question I'm kind of trying to ask uh, something that I've heard recently is kind of just like instead of you trying to tell somebody oh this is like the solution that you should have it's kind of just like leading them on t- leading them to that point where it's just like okay I came to the realization that this is the way that it should be that's interesting um I mean a lot of clients are stubborn mm-hmm. and a lot of times clients don't know what they need mm-hmm. or what they want right mm-hmm. so that that's a big piece of this whole thing um I mean we typically if we feel really strongly about something um we'll just put it on the table gotcha. give them our rationale for how and why we reached that conclusion yeah. and make the best business case for you know what we're doing and if there's you know disagreement or if there's like a point of differentiation you know it depends on kind of where like you got to figure out which battles you want to fight mm-hmm. you know so like we recently did like this big rebrand and the client did not want to rebrand at all mm-hmm. and they had told us before going in and we we're like all right cool we're not going to rebrand we're just going to um revamp all your language mm-hmm. that turned into like well you revamp the language maybe you want to revamp some of the visuals yeah until they kind of realized okay if we want to operate at a higher level you know and play in a in a in a more competitive mm-hmm. space we need to up our game okay and that's how we made them kind of get to that point okay so yeah it's it's doing it in pieces yeah. you know meeting them where they're at and never um and never like never fighting it you mm-hmm. know unless it's like unless you're so convinced in your heart that that's the way to go mm-hmm. you know a lot of times if they want to if they want to take the l you got to let them take the l unfortunately what the client says the client gets. yes <laughs> facts uh, uh, well, I guess then uh, what do you think are like examples of like good questions versus bad questions what do you think because it's just like you always hear about okay yes answer, ask like an open ended question mm-hmm. but not just some people I don't know uh, sometimes it's just like I wonder if I put like enough thought into this uh, sort of question or it's kind of just like okay they actually get what I'm actually trying to say you're talking about from the from the client agency yeah. client relationship yeah. I think the first thing the first rule we play by is keep it simple mm-hmm. right like don't try to get like too heady with certain questions mm-hmm. or try to get too much into the minds of certain people because sometimes the client doesn't even know those things about their own business and then they start mm-hmm. to feel threatened so first thing is keep it simple the second thing that I think is super important is defining the success metrics for any project that you're on so we'll ask them you know six months from now after the conclusion of this first phase um, what would this project have to do to be uh, you know a a hands-down success in your eyes 
and they'll tell you, you know, that's very easy. And they might even say like, well, you know, we want to get 30% growth on something. And then that's an opportunity for you to rein it in and be like, well, in the past six month increments, you guys have been operating at about 4% growth. So is 30% realistic? Where's that number coming from? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And really like coach them into understanding that they are either operating off of like a flawed understanding, you know, like Mm -hmm. coaching them to realize like, that might be your dream, but what's what's yeah. what's your real success metric? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's pretty important um, in terms of questioning. I think um, you know the one thing that we try to that we try to emphasize with all our clients is patience. You know, and patience in the marketing process. And a lot of times, you know, you'll have those those clients that expect everything to happen overnight just because you turned on some some ad dollars and that's just not how it works right so that's something from day one we build out a timeline that we feel is is you know competitive but also realistic based on all the work we've done in the past and if the uh if the client is like what i can't believe this is going to take four months or whatever you explain it to them but then also you can tell how impatient they're going to be yeah. right and that's another point where you can infuse some understanding mm. right so it's just like the um it's just like the it's just like the success metric thing it's like you create all these ways to create and develop understanding with the client before a project begins so i guess throughout like the process even like with when you're uh, when you got when you get like a lead and uh, trying to convert them into a client mm-hmm. and even discovery, how much, I guess, educating do you think you're doing during that time with the client? Constant. 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 I think the success to uh, to anything any campaign that we've been on that has really like blew everybody's expectations. It's always been about client um, education. It's always been about actively educating them throughout the process, even when that takes more, you know, manpower and time away from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that you come away with it with, uh, I mean, yeah, I think just like more respect where it's just like, oh no, like you are the expert in this field. Now it's just like, okay, I will listen to you more instead of trying to push back so much. Or- I think you gotta let them cook on mm-hmm. what they're experts at, mm-hmm. make them feel good, like empower them to be like, hey, like, would love some like ideas for the voice on this campaign, like what do, you know, the mothers and the, and the, the demographic of middle-aged women, like mm-hmm. what do they, how do they approach this? And they'll go off about all these things they know and you'll be like, all right, perfect. And then you infuse that into, you know, you infuse that into your own sauce mm-hmm. and, and kind of make it collaborative. We try to be very collaborative with certain things because you want the client to feel like, you know, they were never in the dark about anything. Gotcha. That's important. Gotcha. And then, you know, if you're good at what you do, they'll be able to tell, like, oh, wow, you know, this is the best we've ever done on this campaign, and it's because of GRC or, you know, Mm. whoever was a part of it. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm just trying to (laughs) sum that in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think, I guess my next question will kind of be around, I guess, has there been a situation where clients have not necessarily been able to answer questions and like how did you take that or yeah a lot of times man a lot of times um again clients don't really know what they need or want right Mm -hmm. so you have to be you have to be mindful of that situation i think um that's honestly it's a tough situation Mm because it's not it it doesn't help educate it doesn't help empower right Mm -hmm. you kind of end up at a dead end 
I think it's just about reframing. You know, mm-hmm. if there's a question that the client doesn't quite understand or doesn't want to to explain, you just reframe it and make them see why it's important. So I'll give an example. It's probably better. We recently had a uh, working with a fashion brand, and the founder was somebody that didn't want to be the face of the company, even though you know she had a huge role as the founder and the designer and mm-hmm. you know the, the creative director of the company. And she's like, well, I don't personally want to be you know in front of the camera or mm-hmm. this and that. And you had we had to educate her as to why her voice is so important for the growth of the brand. Gotcha. And why a lot of that. Um, the roadblocks that she was seeing now is because it didn't feel like people could invest in something with mm-hmm. the brand. It just felt impersonal. Mm-hmm. You know, so when we kind of reframed it to her and showed her why these things are important, she was much more willing. You know, she ended up um, doing like a, a brand video where she was in it and she yeah. narrated it and she came a long way kind of in that. Um, but it was also like, you know, finding a balance where like we knew she wouldn't do a one-on-one camera interview mm-hmm. right so it was like okay let's find the median of that let's have you do a voiceover mm-hmm. right okay. so let's have you be a part of it and make it personal while still feeling you know feeling comfortable and being in your uh being in your comfort zone yeah it's like the whole entire balance between like the yin and yang like it's just always. like yeah please always understand like we're trying to do what's best for you and we under also understand just like how you feel necessarily towards things there has like hopefully we can come towards some sort of middle ground or anything like that exactly and it's just like i need both your input and my input to actually make like a awesome project exactly exactly collaborative collaborative energy yeah okay i guess just my last question yeah kind of just like already said it a couple times yourself it's just like how do you how do you think people how do you think you ultimately like determine uh, what the client actually needs versus what they think they want. Mm. What they need versus what they want. Great question. Um, I think it, would, it starts with, again, a lot of the, the client, the agency client relationship and these things, all of it starts with good foundations, mm-hmm. right? And the more time that you take to create understanding and develop perspective and kind of have a cadence between agency and client during the foundational period, that's gonna ensure more success over time, right? So when when we talk about what a client wants versus what a client needs, the key there is to do a thorough audit on your own end, right, on on your side and with your team and say, okay, look, we went through all facets of your business and these are the things where we feel like are the areas for most improvement, most growth, you know, greatest revenue drivers, et cetera, et cetera. And then you get an idea of what their audit of those things are, right, is. And then from there, you kind of infuse a, a blended strategy, right? Okay. So it's like the want and needs thing is, is, is um, I don't know if there's a black and white answer. A lot of times, yeah. like, clients will desperately need a rebranding and not know it, mm-hmm. right? But if they're just not focused on a rebrand, um, then you can't keep like drilling it in them. Mm-hmm. It's gonna end up kind of in a futile, you know, Got dead it, area. Sure. So it's kind of like, well, here's the audit we did. Mm-hmm. Here's what we found. Where's your audit? What did you find? Let's yeah. figure out where those things are. And then, so then maybe instead of rebranding the whole company, you start rebranding micro assets here and there. Okay. Their social media, their pamphlet, their, you know, their uh, brand videos, and you know, you find smaller opportunities to infuse your perspective mm-hmm. in. And then over time, they they get to the point, you know, they develop the understanding. Oh, it sounds like you do like a lot of 
listening versus just hearing somebody. Absolutely, man. Like that's like something that I think I've slowly started to understand. Yes, yes. Be more listening instead of just trying to hear what they're saying exactly. Because I think there's more. I think what I'm trying to like figure out is like getting more into the why and not necessarily the how. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite quotes is like, you know, if you don't listen, how will you learn? Mm-hmm. It's hard to learn when you're always talking, right? Yeah. So, like, I'm, I've just been talking the last 20 minutes. <laughs> I gotta take my own advice. Uh, uh, no, but no, I appreciate that anyways, either way. Uh, I guess just to close it out, I guess, if you were to say, like, the, just like two big takeaways that you think somebody should get from this, what do you think, what do you think they should? Two big takeaways from this yeah, from last this 20 minutes from this conversation? I think, um... One takeaway was breaking down an approach before worrying about the execution, mm-hmm. right? Which I think is important. And if you know me, you know I'm very execution focused and I'm definitely, you know, like 60, 40 on that direction. But I think this conversation, we, we really got into like why the foundation is important, mm-hmm. why discovery is important, um, why establishing certain things up front is important. Yeah. And I think a lot of creative people will benefit from that. Um, the second takeaway that I think we came up with was um, the importance of staying in the lane that you've created for yourself and telling your story and, and developing your perspective mm-hmm. and sharing that with people, um, the importance of that and, and how that's ultimately going to be your X factor. I think that's something a lot of creative people, a lot of like people in, in early you know stages of, of building a business, they can definitely benefit from that. You know, it's like it's hard to run when you don't know how to walk, right? And sometimes in that walking period is just it's just you. You know, it's just a one on one thing, and it's just you figuring things out, figuring yourself out before you're able to go pitch or go present or go you know win business. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. I guess just, yeah, do you want to plug anything, share anything? Um, no, I mean, I'm super thankful for this opportunity. Thank you for coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, you know, to kind of share my, my uh, battle scars whenever I can. And uh, not nah, man, just follow, you know, the things that I'm doing, I guess, if mm-hmm. you're interested in kind of like seeing these things happen in real time. I think a part of my um, goal is to create um, content and understanding of things as they're happening. Yeah. You know, and so if, I'm sure, you know, you've seen it. I kind of talk about the full scope of entrepreneurship and, mm-hmm. and, and all of that from success to failure. So, yeah, Ani Hustles, A&I Hustles across everything. Um, we're opening a cafe in New York City nice. in a couple of weeks. And so uh, doing a pop-up. we're doing a pop-up this weekend, which I don't think this will be out in time for. <laughs> um, but, yeah, man, I just I want everyone to uh, to live to the best version of themselves. Definitely. You know, so if there's any way that I can help that, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I definitely appreciate that. It was really dope getting to even have this conversation. Oh, no, not at all, man. Not at all. I appreciate you. Likewise. All right, man. Cheers. Thank you so much for coming (laughs) through. Of course.